You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode nine of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording this on Saturday, March 14th, 2015. My name's Harry Knight, and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everyone. And Asha King. Thanks for having me back, guys. So we're recording a little later than normal this week because we wanted the extended Snapper Rocks uh, event to finish off, uh, which it did yesterday, which was pretty fun. And we'll have a little bit more on that uh, later on. But what have you guys been up to this week? I have been loving surfing my new 30-litre Hypto Crypto. I thought we had, we had a couple of small days here and I thought, well, I'll take out the nice high volume 20 inches wide 30-litre board mm-hmm. just to get a lot of waves. And then we had a couple of bigger barreling days. I thought, well, I'll take out the bigger board so I can get into the waves a little earlier. And then we had some mid-sized days and I thought, this board just is a dream. Have you, uh, have you worked out how to turn it yet? Yeah, I have. I've managed to do a couple of turns. It, it took a little bit of getting used to. You just have to... Get your foot right at the back. And, yeah. and, and what it's really good for is drawing longer rail turns. It doesn't really like, like being sort of snapped off the top. Yeah. And, and I, I'm trying to make my surfing a little less jerky. So I feel like it's actually doing my surfing some favors. That's funny because I think all three of us have matching hypto cryptos now. Oh, and they're <laughs> all in kind of different steps of volume. Mine's at 25, yours is at 30. And then Harry, what's yours? 67. 67 litres. <laughs> Somewhere around there. That, yeah. <laughs> Still a bit small for me, to be honest. But yeah, different sizes. I think they all do kind of different styles of surfing because mine does really short rail turns because it's only five foot four. Yeah, because me and you are sort of similar size-wise. Um, so my board's actually a fair bit bigger proportional to my mm-hmm. size, which brings me on to another thing I saw this week, which was pretty cool. We were talking about board sizes in our last episode. And a few years ago, we were talking about how volume was more important than length. And we've seen that change in the surf Sort of yep. culture as more people and, and board manufacturers are talking about volume instead of length and you and I over the last year or so have been talking a lot about this pounds per litre number where you have this scale from three and a half to six and a half Absolutely. and then Surfer Magazine put out an article last week a Surfing Magazine yeah. oh sorry Surfing yeah, the Magazine the March issue yeah put out an article sort of promoting that idea uh, and I thought that was uh, that was pretty cool That's yeah pretty cool it was it was interesting actually it was a follow-up article uh, do you guys remember last year they had some really nice black and white portraits of all the guys on the world tour I think they were taken at the Trestles event and it was with their go-to Trestles board and it, it, you know all 34 guys that were in the event they mm-hmm. had their board and the specs for the board and the the guys specs and so this was a follow-up and it was all non-competitive this was sort of a free surfing thing and it was um or everyone's sort of go-to board at the moment and, and were we seeing a difference in terms of the, the the volume of the boards when they were competing in free surfing because i would have thought that I, it would be a little bit bigger when they're out free surfing because when they're competing they know that there's just two of them in the water they don't have to be paddling around people in a busy lineup uh, i know a lot of the guys surfing pipe will surf smaller boards in their heats but then when mm-hmm. they're out there trying to compete for waves with a big crowd they're surfing bigger boards and yeah surfing. i don't know i they, they had a figure for the average pounds per liter for over everybody they didn't have a pounds per liter for each individual surfer and uh, they didn't have that figure for the the top 34 and I, I think we've thrown that magazine away so we couldn't go back and uh, retro. Mm. I feel like a little bit of research and some kind of graph coming on. I might have to do that after we've finished recording. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after our episode on GoPro cameras as well and how to use them a few episodes ago, I thought I would... Uh, I, I, the one thing I, I speculated on but haven't done a lot of is actually trying to take selfies in the tube with the GoPro. Yeah. Now, 
you guys have probably all heard the idea that time slows down in the barrel. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you that was said by people that have never tried to take a GoPro camera out of their <laughs> mouth, check the settings, and then take a selfie while they're on. inside the barrel. <laughs> time is really not going slow enough. Uh, I managed to get a couple of pretty funny ones. My favorite one that came out actually was when I was diving forwards off the board and it was closing out with my face pressed up against the fisheye lens and my <laughs> tiny little miniature feet kind of uh, getting sucked over the falls in the background. But nice. if you go on to... Um, facebook.com slash surf simply you can see some of those photos and how they came out i also wanted to just give a big shout out to john at channel island surfboards i ha have been feeding my board addiction this week and i bought two new boards a new fred rubble uh, which i just thickened up a little bit to give me a couple of extra liters of volume and i got a 6.2 semi pro for an indo trip that i've got coming up as a bit of a step up board and there was a little glitch with channel island's website and uh, and i pressed the button to buy the board uh, and then I got an error message saying it hasn't gone through. And I sort of pressed it again and pressed it again and pressed it again. And then anyway, I got a message saying, contact your bank. And I did. And my bank said, oh, you've, you've bought this board 20 times. And I'd paid like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like $12,000 to Channel Island. Oh, and classic I mistake. Phoned them up like, with a cold sweat, a bit sheepish. And anyway, John at Channel Island really helped me out. He sorted the whole thing out. I got the boards ordered. He sent the money back. It was just really, really good customer service. So I just wanted to say thanks a lot to those guys over there. First up this week, just a quick roundup of a few smaller things that have taken place in the news over the last little bit. So the first thing this week that caught my eye was Rip Curl have announced their public valuation for a buyback of shares. And unlike Quicksilver and Billabong, they seem to be doing all right. They've been valued at uh, 310 million for the company, wow. which is a little down from 400 million that they were valued at two years ago. But uh, compared to Billabong and, and Quicksilver that really do seem to be in financial troubles, they, uh, they seem to be doing all right. So they've, they went public a while ago and now they're trying to buy the shares back? Is that what's happening? It's for a buyback of shares from company executives that are no longer with the company. Oh, I mm. see. It's, the reason for the valuation is kind of uninteresting, but it, it is nice to see that at least one of the uh, one of the, the big three is is still doing okay. Yeah, so that's interesting. Ripco, Quicksilver and Billabong have always been like the big three, haven't they, for a long, long time. And yeah. I mean, now yeah. I feel like Hurley is really stamping its sort of stamp yeah, <laughs> on the whole thing. Hurley but is stamping its Nike Airs all yeah. over the... Uh, <laughs> they sponsor about, about half of the CT now. Yeah, and, and Hurley have got such good branding with just those two little lines. You know, it really makes them stand out. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Rip Curl now, out of those original big three, have probably got the strongest team riders. They've got Mick Fanning and Gabriel Medina. And uh, as of this week, uh, Mason Ho now joining the Rip so, Curl yeah, team. That was, uh, that was the other bit of news, that Mason Ho, uh, who really long time has been the number one guy with Lost Clothing mm -hmm. um, has left Lost Clothing. He's still going to be riding Matt Biolis' boards. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's now he's now a Rip Curl team rider, which will be interesting to see where that goes. I think that he's done such a great job. We talked about it on the show a couple of episodes ago. But over the last six months, he's put out a ton of videos. He's put himself across really, really well in the way he does his post-heat interviews. And he's done a, a bunch of sort of self-promotion, but in a very kind of humble, funny, self-deprecating way. Yeah. Um, where he's not gone down the full kind of jackass route of just saying, I'm a bit of an idiot surfer. You know, he's clearly a smart guy, mm -hmm. but just a really likable, fun guy. He's not taking it all too seriously. And I think he's done a really good job of marketing himself. And, and that's not an accident. That doesn't just happen by happening to be out there. Yeah, he's he's my favorite surfer to watch right now. He's, I don't know, he just makes surfing look really, really fun. He doesn't take himself too serious in the water. He rides a really lot of really interesting surfboards. 
whether it's a, he rides a lot of really big boards at pipe and he yeah. rides those really small stubby boards at some of the more crazy looking reefs on the North shore. Yeah. I bet he's got a fun quiver. Yeah, to, like, he does. Through. I bet there's some yeah. weird little boards tucked away in there. Exactly. So it'll be cool to follow him over the next year and see how, uh, how things progress for him. I'd really like to see him doing well in the contest. It'd be great to see him on the CT next year. There's, uh, there's two uh, other events that, you know, maybe a little less, uh, a little less prestigious and uh, exciting as the Snapper Rocks, but we've had the Noosa Heads Surf Festival, which is a big longboarding festival that takes place out in Australia. Uh, that's been going on over the course of the week. There are lots of, of little sort of incidental events that take place around it and uh, expression sessions and things like that. There's also the um, part of Joel Tudor's Duct Tape Challenge, uh, which takes place, which a friend of yours uh, surfs a couple of those, doesn't he, Asher? Yeah, yeah, one of my friends, Justin, he's, uh, he's won a couple, quite a few of them. I think he's won, they may have had eight, and I think he's won six. But the winner of Joel's event was a nine-to-five guy, which I thought was pretty cool. That is so cool. He's a Patagonia employee named Troy Mothershead. No, very cool. He, man, he rips on a longboard. Very cool. And so, yeah, the other event that is taking place, and it's just started, is the Ultimate Waterman Competition. Do you have to, is it, does it have to be said in that voice? I feel that if you call your event Ultimate, that it can't, you can't say Ultimate in a mundane, boring sort of a voice. It just it spoils ha- all the marketing. It has to be said like this. The Ultimate Waterman Challenge. Challenge. Yes, yeah, that is the only proper way to say it. it sounds, it's quite an interesting event. It's the, it's the first one they've done. They've got a whole series of, of different contests that they're going to compete in over a couple of weeks. There's a, a longboard event. There's a shortboard event. There's a stand-up paddle event. There's a, an SUP, like, endurance race. There is uh, an open, like, the, the outrigger canoes. Yeah, the sort of yeah. the Polynesian outrigger canoe race. They're called uh, Waka Amas, aren't they? They are indeed. And there is a big wave paddling contest. And they're, they're having all of these different events uh, at different times. They just held the, the canoe paddle event uh, yesterday. And, I mean, interestingly, it doesn't have a very big window. It's only got a, a two-week window in which they're going to operate. And I feel that's quite brave to have a big wave paddling event with a two-week waiting period you know all the big wave that is pretty bold yeah all the big wave world tour events have have much much longer waiting periods about a six month waiting period about a six month waiting period but here's the cool thing uh you may you guys may have seen on the news uh cyclone pam big big spinning tropical cyclone has just hit vanuatu and uh, it looks like it's going to send some really good swell down for this paddling event so they might luck out on it i I wonder how the guys that i'm just looking at the eight guys that are competing in it i wonder how they were selected i guess it was just an invite only thing yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it, they're, they're, they're interesting because they're from all over the place. Danny Ching, who, who won the paddle event yesterday, and he is, is a surfer, but he's a, a competing C1 canoeist. A C1 canoeist. I wonder how he's going to fare in the, other, uh, in the other disciplines. Well, presumably all of the guys that are, that are going up in this event would class themselves as, as multidiscipline athletes. You know, it'd be like, you know, they're not a runner, they're a triathlete. Now, if you go to the website, if you go to theultimateWaterman.com, you can see all about it. And they've got Laird as the poster boy for the whole thing, which yeah. makes sense. You know, he's always been the kind of guy to say, like, it's not just about riding a shortboard. You want to ride different conditions on different days. But he's not actually one of the athletes taking part in the event. Uh, no, really? he's not. Well, he's pretty old now, isn't he? Laird Hamilton is 51 years old. 51. There we go. Well, that's like only slightly older than Kelly Slater. <laughs> it's good to see that they've Come got on. it's good to see that they've got Manoa Drolle from Tahiti in there as well I was actually spent quite a lot of time with his family when I was over there last year and they're such a nice family That's and cool. uh, and he's a real charger excellent um, so the last bit of news before we move on to the main event 
is that at the end of February, the waiting period on the remaining Big Wave World Tour events closed. Uh, that left McCur Rothman as the ratings leader and the new Big Wave World Tour champion. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Well, that's it the is. the first time I'm hearing it. That's fantastic. He's a pretty young guy, isn't he? He's no, that's his brother. That's the Kai Rothman. Well, they're both, they're both pretty young. Um, now, the interesting thing is that he wasn't an official competitor. He was a wild card. But of the six events that were meant to run, only two of them actually got waves. And he won one and came second in the other. Nice. And, and those two events were the, uh, the one in the Basque Country yeah. and then the one down in Peru. Correct. Yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome. Oh, well, good, good on him. It's taken a little bit of flack, the, the Big Wave World Tour, just because it, it, it did, you know, most of the events didn't run. And it's also taken some flack for it. So it's a weird process to qualify for the tour. Yeah. I, I'm not quite sure that I understand that. I don't think anyone process. does. Uh, I know the Dungeons event got their permit pulled. Uh, just a couple of days ago, because there wasn't a clear enough path for local guys to get into the event. And yeah. once they were in the event, not a clear enough path for them to then join the tour. Yeah. So they uh, they pulled the, the permit. And I know that was a pretty tough choice because there was a couple guys from South Africa that would have had a good shot at winning the contest, of course, because they're local wave. And then, you know, maybe going on to do well in the tour. Well, I'm sure that they'll, uh, they'll get all of these kind of kinks ironed out. I mean, the, the Big Wave World Tour is now in its third year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's still relatively young. I mean, if you think about when the ASP was in its third year, which was, what, 78 or something, then... Still the uh, the I, IPS at that point? Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, think about all of that, what a long way it's come since then. So, Absolutely. you know, I think that the Big Wave World Tour is getting flack, but it's, it's a sport that's three years old. I mean, look yeah. at any sport mm-hmm. that's three years old. There's, there's so much growing to be done there. I think they're doing a really good job with it. And obviously, they're not going to get everything right. But I uh, think they are. I did hear an interesting thing. For those of you that enjoy our podcast just as a, a recommended other listening have a look up for um down the line or surf splendor it's actually it's the same podcast but produced by two different guys and they both put it out in their own feed but uh they were talking a little bit about whether the big wave world tour is the right way to showcase big wave surfing and given that the wsl now owns not only the big wave world tour but also the double xl awards are the double XL awards maybe a better way to showcase big wave surfing and that you could retrospectively create uh, a tour, not with, you know, maybe not with specific events or, or you... Yeah, you could rank the surfers could, based on how well mm-hmm. they did through the year. Yeah, or, you, you know, you could post-create an event, you know, it when the swell lights up, you know, and there's very, very clearly, all right, there's going to be a good swell at Jaws. We can see it, it's a week out send everyone an email Let's and say, there. yeah, look, we will qualify. And, you know, any waves ridden on this day will qualify for the Big Wave World Tour. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense because we were talking about this again a while ago, back in November, when Shane Dorian had a really great session out at Jaws and he said he was out there for seven hours and I think and he got two waves in seven hours. Yeah. I mean, when you come to that kind of size wave, just the whole thing is scaled up, the the, the gaps between sets, the amount of waves that are rideable in a set, the amount of good waves in a day. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's just a much, much better format. But I don't see any yeah. reason not to run the two things in parallel for a few years. And no, 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 and see, see and what see emerges. Where they go. It's not but like I, we have to decide right now. Yeah, but I, I do think it's notable that, you know, of the XXL Awards for the last three years, none of the, uh, none of the nominations have ever come from the Big Wave World Tour mm-hmm. events because they've always been run in slightly sub-amazing conditions. 
Okay, so what did you guys think of the Quickie Pro? Yeah, so uh, this is this is a pretty unprecedented thing. The WSL, they set a waiting period for each event, and the waiting period came, and we got, what, rounds one and round two through? Yeah. And of they, the men's, and uh, most of the women's through, but then it went flat. And yeah, nothing there was can nothing do about coming that. and nothing coming, and the forecast looked like Thursday, Friday might be okay, and so they extended the extended the waiting period, which I don't know has ever been done before. And then when they did jump back in the water, the surf was pretty sub substandard, but oh, there God. was plenty of drama. Yeah. Most of it yeah. not directly done on the face of the wave. Yeah, first off, the it was a strange call by Kieran Perot to not run at Duramba during the middle of the week when there were really good waves and there was a lot of good free surfing clips the free over there. surfing clips look incredible. Yeah. I guess it was the consistency. Yeah, the rumor was the sand isn't very good at Duramba right now. So that's kind of what he cited as the reason they didn't run. So I don't know, obviously good enough for Dan Reynolds to do six-foot slob grab air. But then I guess that's the tricky thing is that if you take the top, you know, let's be honest, probably the top 50 guys in the world competitively mm-hmm. plus all of the invested groms and, and, and pros in Australia, you're gonna have, and you put them clips. all in Kulongata, and then you have a lay day. Probably someone's going to do something quite good at, at, at absolutely D-bar. You know, it's it. But if you sit there and film for eight hours and come back with with three or four good clips, that doesn't mean that that it was actually firing. Yeah, I thought that the adverts were some of the worst adverts I've ever seen in my entire life. Samsung for me, but just became the uncoolest brand yeah, in the on the planet. I'm pretty sure Samsung products are now not for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these adverts are so, like, it's such an integral part of the event because the whole event is, what, 16 hours. Mm-hmm. And they play these adverts probably every 15, 20 minutes. So, you know, you're watching these adverts like hundreds of times. Hundreds. They, they, they become, by default, a part of surf culture. My favorite one was, uh, was the two, or the, the group of stockbroker-looking guys sitting around the table, which is already just about the most uncool group to a surfing audience. And they're sitting at the table, and the guy looks like he's never seen a smartphone before. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Can I see that? Another guy goes, "Sure." <laughs> and then Have you seen this? <laughs> Samsung, and that's it. That's the whole. <laughs> that's advert. it. That's all it was. <laughs> it's a shame, isn't it? Because the every day is day one thing that they put out. Well, yeah, this, that was last amazing. Year. That was very that was good. A mind-bogglingly cool bit of uh, mm-hmm. advertising. Yeah, it was. It was really good. Well, I guess it's the difference between brand association and pushing an, an actual product isn't it it's very hard to, to in any way shape or form force a product to be cool okay you know, but, it, it, but if but even with your deep-seated love of an iphone how <laughs> would how would you sell the iphone to a surfing audience in a way that didn't after 20 reruns seem a bit crap i i tell you what is just not cool is talking to someone on your watch like you're a spy that not, <laughs> that's just not cool that hasn't been cool for 40 years um so the event itself the real big thing running up it was a good finals day it was good with the extension but the, the really big thing was the round three run when they when they came back on and, and tough just, conditions well, tough conditions and the, the tough conditions really sort of turning it into a bit more luck than uh, than skill and just all the high seated guys went down yeah and uh, almost all the red shirts were brought down around three we had slater put out uh josh kerr the next heat parko lost gabriel mendina dusty Payne, a, an early round standout Owen Wright got smoked. Uh, Matt Banting, Clohe, and John John Florence all lost 
you know, in one round. In one round, yeah. And it, it, it was a real sort of, it was almost like the, the, the clean-up set of surf contests. It was kind of an ear <laughs> like, ooh, who are we left with after this? It uh, definitely made some dents in my fantasy team. Oh, yeah. There, there were a couple of great battles going down in the smaller waves, even in the early round. Round two was when they had to deal with the worst conditions yeah, pretty much. just horrible, horrible um, snapper. But there was that uh, round two heat seven, which was Jeremy Flores and Kolohe Undino. Do you guys remember that one? Mm-hmm. And it turned into this just duel where they were both kind of building a house and each one just getting ahead and then they got on the beach they were waiting for the scores at the end that was just a master class in really making the most out of poor conditions but i um, actually thought what was interesting is in the you know slightly subpar conditions that we had the women were looking very on par with the men you know you, yeah, you, sharp you could have had a couple of those heats you could have mixed them up and uh, the women would definitely have come out on top laura enova came out in her heat looking really dangerous like a, a really serious competitor really attacking the lip and uh, and it was kind of a shame that she didn't actually uh, get through the event. Did you did you notice that Clohe wasn't wearing a leash in any of his heats during this event? Oh, really? Didn't wear a leash once. So on the coolometer, does that make up for his uh, musketeer-style box beard that he's been sporting <laughs> yeah, the, in the last couple of years? <laughs> bad beard, cool, cool leashless. I don't know. I don't know how that weighs out. Surely in hipster culture, the worse the beard, the, the cooler the, you are. Yeah, the better. Uh, maybe. I thought some of the scoring was a little, I don't know, particularly through the later part of the contest I thought some of the scores just seemed a little inflated and, and yeah it did seem a little high I didn't watch the event live and I, I you know turned my computer on the next day and 18 point 19 point heat totals oh my god like it must have got so good and even in the final you know Philippe Toledo got a what was it a 9 5 and a, and a 10 and a 10 a 10 at the buzzer and yeah, that, the, now the they first, had they had no choice. His. They had no choice but to give him a ten with that. Yeah, because they it were was significantly 10. better than the previous one. But and also, it was pretty near the end of the heat. I think they were pretty sure that no more waves that good were going to. Well, get yeah, away. possibly, nope. but but I don't know whether the Julian's nine and Felipe's previous nine. I don't know. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I, I, they, I thought it was a nine okay six to, actually, not they, a nine five. But and and I think that it, I watched that several times. He actually fell at the end of yeah, the last he, turn. Yeah, he falls at the end like digs rail. I don't know. I just don't think that that. It's some of the best surfing that went down in the contest. So in that respect, maybe it's fair that it was picking up high points. But if you you go through at the end of the year and they start playing, oh, well, all of Felipe Toledo's nine-point rides, that's not going to hold up well. I think that he was the best surfer at the event, and I think the right guy won it. So I think the judges made the right decision. Possibly they overscored that one wave a little bit. I also think that... They probably made the decision to score all of those waves quite high because I felt that it, they, I think they probably thought it would have detracted from the drama if everyone was winning their heats with twos and threes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also the waves in between those nines, there were a lot of really poor waves surfed. So after you're watching some of these waves that just dribble down the point when one finally does run, they probably were so excited that they were. That's true, and I mean, realistically, the, house the, scale, the scale is meant to be reset for every heat, mm-hmm. isn't it? So, it, it, you know, theoretically, if it's... That's, yeah, that's the idea. You're meant to be using the whole scale for every heat, you know. Yeah. There was a couple of interesting interference discussions that happened early on in the yeah. contest. There was Joel Parkinson, who got pretty angry with Wiggly Dantes when he got Wiggly Dantes's leash caught up in his arm while he was trying to paddle. Mm-hmm. And then it meant that he kind of couldn't paddle quite where he wanted to. And he had to like stop paddling and start again. And then when he took off, he was stuck in the white water. So he didn't get mm-hmm. a first clean top turn. And it, and Wiggly Dancer sort of made the point, look, I was trying my best to get out of the way. I don't think that's good enough. I think you should actually get out of the way. I think mm-hmm. not on a point break. Yeah. Like if you're paddling back out and you're in the way, 
you're in the way. Yeah, um, and even if it's your leash, even if it's not, because I heard someone say, well, it's it's his leash, it's not really part of his board. I mean, I don't think that washes either. I mean, those you could have a 15 foot leash and just be like lassoing guys. <laughs> wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have happened in Clohes. <laughs> and then obviously the big controversy with, with the interferences was Gabriel Medina versus uh, Glenn Hall. Yeah, so the, talk, talk us through the new interference rule because it's actually different to what it has been in the past. Yeah, okay. So the, the, the priority rule was brought in as a way of stopping people, basically pushing each other further and further up the point to where nobody was actually surfing. So to have this rotating priority as to who could catch waves. And the, the definition from the WSL website is the surf with priority has the unconditional right of way to catch any wave they choose. Other surfers in the heat can paddle for and catch the same wave, but only if they do not hinder the scoring potential of the surfer with priority. A surfer loses priority once they catch a wave and or a surfer paddles for but misses a wave. If two or more surfers catch a wave, the first surfer to make it back to the takeoff zone will get the priority. So basically, if, you, if you've got um, two people surfing man on man, you should end up with a nice situation where it's rotating priority and they can, the person with priority can take off on the wave that they choose. So what that meant in practical terms is if... Uh, say Gabriel Medina has got priority and then Glenn Micro Hall doesn't have priority it doesn't matter where in the lineup Glenn Micro Hall is and where on the lineup Gabriel Medina is if Gabriel Medina paddles for the wave and stands up with priority it's his wave it's his wave but uh, then they've changed it a bit this year right right so this is where some of the, the confusion comes in because if you if you look at what happened with, with Glenn Hall and, and Gabriel Medina it's pretty clear cut uh, Gabriel Medina takes off on the wave he doesn't have priority uh, Glenn Hall paddles in order to block him and, and take the wave, which is absolutely fine. Yeah, and, that, and, and just just for listeners who maybe haven't seen a lot of surf contests, that might sound like a bit of a devious tactic, but actually that's pretty standard. It's pretty every, normal. That's pretty normal. Every single surfer on tour would have done exactly that same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fun because it turns the whole contest into a little bit of a chess match. You know, there's what they're doing on the wave, but there's then the chess match that's taking place off it. Gabrielle gets very, very close to Glenn Hall. There's no contact, but the tip of his board must be only a couple of inches away from Glenn Hall. So as Glenn Hall was paddling in, that distracts him. He fumbles his takeoff and falls and they called interference. I think that's fair enough. Now, yeah, it kind of looked to me like he actually buried his board into the wave to try and get away from the front of Gabriel Medina's board. Yeah, I'm, I mean, if you really watch it back, probably... If Glenn Hall had just held his line and got to his feet, it would have been fine. But, but he, I think he that's very that well. No, no, no. This is it. I think that's a very hard decision to make when someone's coming at you at, at thirty kilometers an hour and is about to T-bone you to just say, yeah. "Oh well, I trust him to get out of my way." Gabriel Mendina was absolutely flying on that little kind of hook out of the way of exactly, he did. and 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 Gabriel had been and has a history of hustling quite hard in the water. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think if I was in Glenn Hall's position, I wouldn't have trusted my ability to, to, to you know, go on that wave. Anyway, in the post-heat interview, Gabriel Medina then said that he didn't understand the new rule. Now, that it was kind of hard for me to get hold of this. I emailed the press office at the WSL, and I'm still waiting for a response. They got back to me and, and sent me to the website, which is what I just read you. Um, but they have introduced a new rule, which, as I understand it, limits the effect and effect of the priority rule to the peak of the wave. Okay, so, so if you haven't got priority and you take off on the peak and then the surfer has got priority, is sitting further down the line, with this new rule, they can't just take off on the wave, drop in on you and absolutely, you which Absolutely, which is actually what we saw at the Quicksilver Pro two years ago. Like when they when, ran it at Kira. When they ran at Kira and Kelly Slater was winning the heat 
and had priority. And Joel Parkinson took off on that absolutely beautiful screaming. bow, screaming down the line. And Kelly just kind of looked at him and dropped straight in. How great there's, was, that, there's that great yeah, photo, great right. photo of Parker on the tube, flipping just him the bird, yeah. giving him something. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's cool. That's part of the chess game. But they 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 wanted to avoid that situation where basically I, I could get into a position where I'm winning. I wait until you catch a wave and therefore priority shifts to me. And then I just paddle all the way down the point and just stop you. You know, I, I can watch and make sure you've got two good turns in. I know this is going to be a good scoring wave and now I'm going to block you. So Gabriel then said that he didn't necessarily understand this. And like I say, I haven't had any confirmation from the WSL yet as to exactly what the wording of this new uh, rule was. Yeah, the that rule makes a lot of sense. Uh, for surfing point breaks because somebody could be w up the point and have already done two or three turns or be in the barrel like that Quicksilver Pro example that you talked about. I don't think this fell under that umbrella at all. They were they're pretty much right next to each other. Absolutely. And you can see, though, why Gabriel Medina thought that he might have been able to keep going on the wave because I, I think his understanding of the rule was once I'm up and going, even if I don't have priority, if I've sort of done one little turn, then I'm on the peak and it's, he has to get him away. Yeah, I, think, I don't even yeah. think this fella behind on one turn. This was, they're about 10 feet away from each other. Yeah, he wasn't even on his feet. So yeah. there's, there's a second there's a second aspect to this. So that, that's all fair enough. You know, a bit of misunderstanding there. Glenn Microhall got pretty frustrated at Medina, who was hustling him in the water, as he's done in the past. Mm -hmm. But then there was the question of the interview when he got out of the water. Yeah. And it, and it was... It was Good entertainment. It I've got to good. say, I like it. I, I, you know, I think that what Gabriel Medina said in the interview was uh, just a big, big mistake on his part. And Do you really? Yeah, but from my point of view, just sitting there on the sofa watching some very, very mediocre waves and long lulls, I like it. it was quite entertaining, wasn't it? Yeah, it was well, a little fire. Just, so, so what actually happened, listeners, was um, Gabriel Medina st stood up in front of Peter Mel and he said, "Well, there's three things I want to say about that. One, I think that." The WSL and Kieran Perot did not do a good job. Made a bad call. And I hope he'll do a better job in future. I'd be interested to hear what he thinks they could have done better because I, I don't know what they could have done better. It's a tough situation. Second of all, he said, uh, I hope someone can explain this new interference rule to me because I don't understand it, which I think is possibly true, perhaps slightly disingenuous. The third thing that he said... Uh, was if Glenn Micro Hall tells me to, and then he just dropped the F-bomb right there on the live webcast again... I'm gonna, and at that moment, Peter Mel like took the microphone away and was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 okay, uh, thanks, Gabriel, back up to you guys <laughs> yeah. in the box," and he cut away. What what I would have really liked to see is Peter Mel just go, "Oh, what what are you gonna do? What exactly are you gonna yeah, do, big man? Would you, like to, would you like to tell the world what you're gonna do?" And well, then give the microphone well, back. Oh, well, now to be fair, Gabriel Medina says, and you can sort of see it in the lip reading, you know, because he pulls the microphone away. But he said, if he tells me to, to fuck off one more time. I'm going to teach him some rude words in Portuguese. Oh, is that what he said? Now, it's I think... It's tough I, to see that. I watched it a couple times, and it's like, a big, like, yeah, he could have said that, but now, maybe it would have gone somewhere else. I think if else. he's saying that, he's not telling anybody else to fuck off. He's saying, this has been said to me, and I feel they're being unoriginal. They need more insults. Yeah, I mean, he did say the whole thing with a bit of a smile on his face. Yeah, I, I don't think... He didn't look like he was angry or upset. I mean... Possibly a professional sportsman that's had media training shouldn't be dropping the F-bomb in the middle of a post-heat interview. Well, okay. It, it, the thing is, it came across in the interview like he was, he was saying, this guy told me to F off. And the implication was, you know, I'm going to kick his ass if, if he does anything like that again. I, for one, uh, would have liked to see the face-off between uh, Mendina and Glenn Hall because... 
Glenn Hall is not a very big guy. I think he's what about five three or five four. And but, micro Hall. Yeah, he Medina's is micro. Pretty small. I think Medina's a pretty built, pretty tall guy. He's kind of squared off a little bit the last few years. As yeah, well. I, I think I the face like off would have been them. pretty exciting. Uh, but what's interesting is, you know, Jeremy Flores got in a lot of trouble last year for mm-hmm. quietly back of house off the webcam, mm-hmm. getting upset at the judges. And he had, I think, a $6,000 fine and he was banned from a couple of events. Two events and his well, best events. Right. As well. And I, I don't see that now Gabriel Medina, this can just be swept under the carpet like it didn't happen. No, but I think that there is a different context in that. I mean, it was quiet in the sense that no cameras saw it, but it was obviously a pretty violent and abusive event that, that Jeremy Flores was involved with. And it was directly criticizing the judges at the event. Mm-hmm. Whereas all Gabriel Medina's said is, you know, they've had, you know, athletes had a bust up in the water. That's fine. You know, that, that happens at every event. And all he's done is quoted what's happened. He's dropped a rude word into an interview. But like, I don't, I don't see that that is as bad as being violently critical of the system that you're part of. Well, but in his first two points, he was pretty critical of, of the WSL. And mm-hmm. Well, now that's, yeah, that's possibly true. Uh, I think that, you know, I mean, he, he's not allowed to drop the, the F-bomb on family TV, but I think the context of what he was saying, I don't think it was very smart of him to say, but I think it was good TV. Yeah. Uh, speaking of blow-ups, how epic was Fred Patashia's... <laughs> Uh, pump into the rocks board slide combo. If you haven't seen that on Instagram, listeners, it's going, it's doing all the rounds on the social media. It is amazing. So talk us through the clip. Uh, so Fred Patashia was in a heat against Adriano D'Souza, and I think Adriano had a 14-point heat total, and Fred had, was sitting on less than one, just nothing. And the he waves did, he were, didn't get a single weight till there were the, less, yeah, the very less than end. 10 minutes on the clock. Anyway, just a really frustrating heat. The waves were dribbly. And at the very end, he caught this closeout, turned left on the snapper right, and just pumped furiously. And as he starts approaching this big rock on the inside, you can hear the announcers going, no, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> and he ollies his board and just does this kick maneuver on the rock, snapping his board in half. It was it was epic. It was incredible. Do you know the whole Freddy on the rock thing where people take photos of themselves on the rock and then hashtag it Freddy, was it Freddy on the rock, I think? Yeah, yeah, like I think I saw that somewhere on Instagram. Was that as a result of that little maneuver? I think it was. Where everywhere, there was a competition to take take a, take a selfie on top of the rock where yeah. Freddy smashed his ball. I thought that was a nice little... Talk about taking a little bit of a tantrum and then turning it around into a nice little social media... <laughs> That's pretty great. Uh, ...meme. But I tell you what was funny is uh, Joe Trapel was talking the next day about how, or maybe it was Ronnie Blakey, about how after that incident off-camera, Freddie Patacchio was in a really stinking mood and stormed back to his Sprinted hotel, back. got to his room and realized he hadn't got the key. Uh. <laughs> and then just, uh, uh, and I, you know, I think Fred Patacchio is just a great guy. And this is so funny because it's exactly the sort of thing I think we've all done where you get in a real stinking mood about you something. Just lose it. And then there's a moment when you're like, wait a minute, I'm just being an idiot. I really am. And you sort of take a deep breath and you have to laugh at yourself. And I think... It's great that he's one of those kind of people, and, and you know, I think we all try to be like this, that you can actually turn around and look at yourself and just laugh at how ridiculous uh, we can all be getting carried away with emotion and not take it all too seriously. So well, he, he then came back and was, was quoted as saying that he thought his wave should have been scored higher because it was uh, definitely a new and innovative manoeuvre with speed, power <laughs> and flight. So, so funny. <laughs>
I tell you what, when you watch these contests when the waves are really bad, and the, the waves certainly for round two and three were the worst I've ever seen in any ASP slash WSL contest oh, since yeah. I've been following them. And one thing you always notice when the waves are bad is that there's a lot more luck in terms of who goes through. You yep. don't see the best surfers going through. There's, there's just that luck. And I think that that is frustrating. And we saw Josh Kerr kind of lose his call and Fred Pataccia and Joel Parkinson and Gabriel Medina. And Kelly Slater. And Ke- all what? of them. Kelly Slater seemed fairly composed in his post interview, I thought. Well, he always does. He's, I mean, he's been the consummate professional for 10 years. He's, he's been the only guy even through, you know, five years ago. At the post-heat interview, they would never interview the loser mm. unless it was Kelly Slater. And he would give an interview regardless of whether he won or lost. And he would give a cool, calm, collected post-heat interview. On the subject of Kelly Slater, uh, yeah, I don't think he can manufacture scores anymore. They judge Slater very hard. Did any of y'all see his wave in the round one heat where he did that really nice carving 360 on the opening turn? Yeah. And then surfed the wave to the inside. I thought it was going to be a really high score, and it was maybe a low six. Well, I mean, he, he can throw out those 360s in his sleep. It's not that it's a, it's not a new and innovative maneuver. It's not a particularly powerful maneuver. They've, they've they're been scoring. pretty hard to do. Well, I, I agree, but not. I mean, he's been doing them since he was 20. But Mick Fanning's been doing the same frontside snap since he was 20 but and he still gets but that's a big powerful maneuver well, and I, that's that's where they've been putting the the emphasis on the judging in the last year or so has been on the big power surfing maneuvers what did you guys think about the board that kelly then paddled out on in the heat that he subsequently lost the little tomo yeah it's interesting wasn't it um it's uh it's a shame he didn't get any waves on it yeah i would <laughs> like to see how he surfed it you were saying that apparently he'd been surfing it really well outside of the event up and down the coast that's what i've read i've, I've seen a couple of things where he's been he's been working with daniel thompson on boards and on shapes and uh, has been riding that board uh, up and down the coast and, and been doing pretty well. And uh, the, the stuff we were talking about a couple of episodes ago with Kelly maybe becoming part of Firewire, it sounds like that's, that mm-hmm. is now official and Kelly is, Kelly is Mr. Firewire. Well, it'll be interesting to see if he goes out on that board again in future contests. Uh, I would have been really interested to see how he surfed it because I, I really enjoy riding a lot of alternative shapes and kind of before you take one out, I really like kind of visualizing what the board was made to do and sort of what conditions it would work well. I think the conditions it was made for, you can check that box. But I don't really know how you're supposed to surf a board like that. The tail is so wide. I don't really know the... Well, actually, interesting, the tail isn't. It's that the center point of the board is very narrow. Really? Yeah, all of those tomos, if you look, like you're looking at them and it looks like what you'd expect from the, you know, an average Joe or a a big, fat, lost, domesticated Mm -hmm. board. The wide points on those are... They're never over 19 inches. Really? Um, uh, yeah, no, some of them are 17 inches wide. So I don't know. Then it's, is it a really straight rail line on it? Yeah, very straight rail line. It's it's almost like um, you know that foam layer that I've got. The yeah, a really nice looking board. It, right. It's it's almost like a fiberglass one of those with fins on it. They, I, I really hope that he goes out and surfs well on it and really kind of his his last little stamp before leaving the competitive arena. It would be great for him to, for again, for a third time, completely change the kind of boards that everyone's riding. Oh, I would yeah, love it. Because, I mean, Stu Kennedy did quite well on those little turmos a couple of years ago. Yeah, he did. Going back again to Philippe Toledo, who won the whole thing, I thought he was surfing absolutely phenomenally. Oh, my gosh. Those sort of classic nine o'clock wraps that Slater and Mick Fanning do, you know, when you think that they're going to go up and hit the lip, but then they hook it right under the lip into like this tiny little cutback snap and then mm-hmm, drop yeah. back down the wave. And Filippo Toledo was, was doing them in the way that I've only really seen Fanning and Slater do before. He was also doing those big 
under the lip carve downs that Joel Parkinson previously yeah. I've only really seen do where he's just holding the rail in the water Geordie Smith kind of does them too but he was doing those as well it was kind of like he was putting together some of those Fanning and, and, and Slater moves and also the, the, Again, the Parco that, ones that really I mean, big power surfing yeah mm. and he's not a big guy I don't no. think he is and I, I was just really blown away I was so happy to see him win it it's also good to see the best surfer win an yeah, event I don't know his surfing was so much more interesting than anyone else's in the contest kind of when he took off on a wave you had no idea what he was going to do yeah uh, yeah his power game really impressed me he was doing those crazy under the lip grab rail reverses that josh kerr was doing a lot mm-hmm. a couple of years ago but you know he might do one of those and then he might do a you know a stock front side air and then five power carves it was just his his variation was really impressive I think, listeners, if if you want to see how to surf really well in quite average waves on your forehand, go to the heat analyzer on the WSL website. Just watch the semis and the final. Julian Wilson was pretty impressive too. I think I think the right guys were in the final. Yeah, I, yeah you know, I he was so. doing some big high risk aerials on some yeah. of those waves, and I, he's been surfing fantastically as well. He's definitely one to watch this year. Yeah, I, I, Julian's always had those real big maneuvers, but. I almost think that it's his transitions that are so much more improved this year yep. that his ride's really interesting from the start to the finish. So it's kind of the speed that he carries through the middle of the wave and kind of the linking things that it's just, I don't know, it's really cool surfing. Yeah, Happy I mean, to I, see it. I think he was uh, he was not far off winning that final. He just got that one wave that he got that had that long flat bit mm-hmm. in the middle that he had to kind of pump through. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of glad to see Philippe Toledo win it anyway. I think that was cool. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. As we spoke about in the last episode, I went away. We didn't have time to go through it in detail on the show, but I went away and I built a Surf Simply podcast fantasy team on the WSL page. And lots of you guys have joined uh, the, the the clubs that I set up. So we've got two clubs, right? We've got the Surf Simply podcast club on the WSL page and the Surf Simply podcast club on the fantasy surfer that is correct page and uh, the surf simply podcast team on the wsl we didn't do too badly we came third but uh, josh and ben the oracle kim both uh, both beaters unfortunately ben was... the oracle kim nothing better than that when you give yourself a nickname <laughs> yeah indeed uh, <laughs> josh actually seems to have done incredibly well he's uh, he's beaten us by over 100 points uh, wow which is pretty good going We've got a few people playing. I didn't, uh, nothing deliberate in it. I just was was in a hurry when I did it. I didn't build a women's team for that event. But Andre, our coach Andre, won the uh, the women's. <laughs> if uh, if Josh and Ben are out there and you want to send us in a uh, little email post-heat interview, we can read out your sort of uh, magnanimous comments on having won that event in the Surf Simply Podcast Club. We'll read them out on the show. Absolutely. And and on that note, if, uh, if Bonaman5000... <laughs> <laughs> on the uh, on the fantasy surfer, the the surfer magazine fantasy surfer would like to get in touch because he has done remarkably well. He won the men's event uh, or got joint first in the men's event and second in the women's event. Very strong showing for Bonner. Very strong showing. However, in the fantasy surfer, Mr. King. Oh, not bad. Joint first place in the men's and the women's. Had a had a good run. So if, if you want to send us in a little uh, little comment on that to read out on the show, Bonner Man Five Thousand. Very happy to hear from you. So next show, we'll pick our, our Bells team on air. Yeah, I think we should. Our next recording should be just before Bells. Every week, I do a little roundup of the forecast, uh, just looking at what's going on in the world. As I mentioned earlier, 
in the program, uh, there is a big cyclone, uh, Cyclone Pam, spinning around in the South Pacific at the moment, just north of New Zealand. That's going to fill in. It's going to um, turn back into a into a storm. Um, it's going to push right now a lot of big swell out to New Zealand and some of the South Pacific Islands. And then as the swell rolls out, that will fill in into a pretty good long period swell for South and Central America. Later next week, there looks to be a good storm in the Southern Indian Ocean. That's going to push through and then that's going to send a really nice swell into Southern Australia and then up New Zealand, maybe a good raglan swell. Europe looks like maybe next weekend might be a, a, good, a good hit. We've got big storm out off Greenland and we've also got uh, a big high pressure going to sit over Central Europe, so offshore winds for a lot of Europe with some, some waves coming in. For anyone that is interested in playing around with forecasting and stuff, you might have seen some pretty cool graphics of what the wind and the storms were doing during the uh, WSL event. And it's pulled from a very mm -hmm. cool website, which doesn't even really have a name. So it's just earth.nullschool, N-U-L-L-S-C-H-O-O-L. Uh, earth.nullschool.net if you go to that it will load up a very cool interactive view of, of the world with all the winds the surface winds spinning around in real time it's a really cool graphic if you're into forecasting um, and I'm not I'm not sure what it is and where it's come from and what it's doing a friend sent me a link to it the other week that is so cool it's the coolest thing yeah I've ever seen. It's awesome, isn't it? And it, it <laughs> I don't know if you, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen, but it's certainly very, very cool. It's one of the coolest things I've seen on the internet. You can scroll around. It's a bit like with, with the Google Earth. You can scroll around and you can zoom in and zoom out. And it, it's actually pretty detailed. It's, it's pulling in all the, the information from various weather stations around the world. It's just it's so, it's, it's, it's so hypnotic. I'd love to have that as my screensaver. Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? And it's a bit like looking at a fish tank. <laughs> it's not even that it's necessary. You don't need to be worried about what the storms are doing. It's just very cool to look at. It's oh wow, that's cool! You can really see how those uh, offshore trade winds that we have in Costa Rica and southern Nicaragua uh, really blow through the little gap in the mountains there and just get spat mm -hmm. out in this one isolated part of Central America. Yeah, it's very cool, isn't it? Is yeah, it, that, it's, listeners, that is definitely worth just spending a little bit of, when you've got a lot of emails to do and a lot of work to do, and you're just looking for any reason to procrastinate at all. Definitely a good thing to look up. Um, okay, so that's the forecast done. On to the contest roundup. Obviously, we've had the Snapper Rocks contest, and just in case we buzzed over it a little too much earlier, uh, the, the end result was Philippe Toledo beat Julian Wilson in the final of the men's, and Carissa Maud beat Steph Gilmore in the final for the women's. The next event for both the men's and the women's is the Bells Beach event, which starts on April 1st. On the men's QS, there's a QS 1500 down in Argentina at the end of March, but far more excitingly, and slightly confusingly, there is a women's, it's only a 1,000, a QS 1,000, at Pipeline. Oh, I didn't oh, know that wow. was happening. Starting March 16th. I wonder if they're going to have a uh, webcast for that, and I wonder what kind of size pipe they'll be running it in. I don't know, but I do know that Carissa Moore flew home yesterday to prep for it. Oh, cool. So oh, that could be very be cool. exciting. I, I wonder if Tyler Wright's going to be going over there for it as well. I oh, really I hope, hope so. so. So the only thing is that there is then the, uh, there's a QS 6,000, um, a couple of days later in Taranaki, New Zealand, which is just going to be beach break, like pretty poor. It used to be a, it used to be a world tour event for the women's, but that's a, that's a 6,000 event compared to a thousand for pipeline. So actually if, if all the women that are being sensible and are trying to get on tour, they're going to go to New Zealand, not to pipe. 
why is that pipe event so low? I'm sure Eddie Rothman would have a thing or two to Eddie say about Rothman that. Eddie Rothman would be upset. <laughs> but I, I think he'd enjoy being upset and he'd get a lot of pleasure I out think, of it. I think he'd get to it. It's like, it's like a grumpy old. He's a bit like Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> There's also a longboard event at Kingscliff in New South Wales on March 25th. And as I mentioned earlier, there is the Ultimate Waterman event, which started yesterday and is running various events over the next two weeks. All right, guys. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any comments or any feedback for us at all, we'd love to hear from you. Email podcast at surfsimply.com. Have you got a quote to round us out this week, Rue? I do. This is a lovely little sample of uh, Steph Gilmore being interviewed talking about visualizing surfing that just kind of made me chuckle. Until next episode, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Take care. Bye. You just kind of, you know, I, I'm always visualizing about surfing better and, and you know, I'm and visualizing myself with like, I don't know, the talent of Dane Reynolds or, you know, something like that. And, and so to be like Dane with a blonde ponytail surfing a wave, that's what I'm kind of visualizing. Can we get that as a meme? Dane with a blonde ponytail with Stephanie's face. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. The ultimate waterman challenge. challenge.